0: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. What if faith is not about being certain, but maybe faith is what you do when you're not certain?
1: That's Pete Enns,
0: biblical scholar
1: and author on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Armin is not able to be with me today, but uh, he will be joining us at the end of this episode as we wrap up uh, commentary on our guest today. Featured today is Pete Enns. Pete is a PhD Bible scholar, the professor of biblical studies at Eastern university. He does teaching and writing and speaking about the Bible and has been doing that for over 20 years. He's the author of 18 books, including the sin of certainty and inspiration and incarnation. He's written nearly a hundred articles and encyclopedic and dictionary entries. And he is the host of the Bible for normal people podcast on his podcast. Website, he describes himself as one who likes to ask questions and doesn't like quick, safe answers just to make the hard questions go away. I like that about him, and I've enjoyed reading his book, and so I couldn't wait to have you meet Pete Enns. Pete, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. Oh, yeah. So good to have you. I've been looking forward to this since I read your book. You wrote The Sin of Certainty a couple years ago, and a friend of mine recommended to me that I read it. I don't even know what he and I were talking about, but he said, you know, I've just been reading this book and I think you might really enjoy it. And I started it and uh, boy, I just couldn't put it down. It was, it was just like a, I don't know. It was, it was very refreshing and it's thinking now with that title, it's a very provocative and catchy title, the same yeah. of certainty, right? But I got to mm-hmm. ask you here, Pete, before we get into what that's all about, I noticed on your website, that you describe the Bible for Normal People podcast as the only God ordained podcast on the internet, to be absolutely precise. So I'm just right. got to ask
0: you: Are you committing a sin there? Uh, no, <laughs> because God actually told me that. Oh, all right. See how it works? <clears throat> yeah, you're. That's, you're that's you're how people of that, get it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no. It's funny you mentioned that because you know, obviously, that's just a little bit of snark and fun. Yeah. You know, as we're trying <laughs> to set the mood for the podcast, right? But, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten by people saying, you know, I really like your podcast and the content, but that title is just arrogant. Arrogant, and yes. Like, okay, look, I'm, we're not, but we don't mean it, you see? <laughs> actually it kind of is trying to provoke the thinking right yeah and yeah. to say there there is no god ordained podcast yeah. anywhere
1: yeah
0: <laughs> you know so we're all just trying to wing it here and make some sense of things so right. uh, but you know it's just I, I you know we thought it was just funny and and 99% of the people get it but there's always a few people who you know for whatever reason they're just they don't get it yeah there's <laughs> There seems to be the militant few that you find
1: anywhere. They're the, you know, in, in grammar circles, they'd be called the grammar Nazis. You know, everything has to be, you know, precisely. You don't end right. a sentence in a preposition or whatever it is. <laughs> and there are always those. And and that's, a, I think, a matter of where you just say, okay, do I have enough grace to, you know, let those yes. people exist in their own uh, in their own thinking <laughs> without the need to actually change it. And sometimes those are the most challenging people to be around. I, that's I admit. true. But
0: well, that's, you know, we're all different all right. and that's okay. Well, let's talk about your book because uh, all right. the, the
1: this is the, the whole reason I wanted to have you on the show is just a dialogue about this. But uh, tell me briefly,
0: what's the central thesis of the sin of certainty? That, you know, in the life of faith, we will always come up to a point on that journey where What we used to be very certain of, we're not certain of any longer. And when that happens, our focus, I believe, should be not to try to go back to the way things were, but to accept that as an insight, as a God moment to move forward to another place where, you know, maybe God will be bigger than the God of our familiar places and our comfort zones. And, you know, in that sense, just grow. You know, it's it's really as simple as that. And so when I say the sin of certainty, I'm not suggest- – and I say this in the book. I'm not suggesting that feeling certain or feeling a sense of confidence is sinful. You're supposed to doubt. It's more that when you go through those periods of doubt and being unsure and crisis to say, okay, my my job is to go backwards, back into the fortress – I think that's wrong. I think that's selling the gospel short. I think that's selling the spiritual life short. And what's really sinful is when church leaders tell you we need to put this wall back up together the way it was before. And that's where you need to be. And that's where you need to stay like a good boy and good girl. Describe this fortress that you're talking about and putting these walls back up. What does that look
1: like? Practically speaking, where do you see that?
0: Well, practically speaking, you know, when when you have an experience like you read something or you watch something on cable television or whatever, and or you just have new friends who think very differently than you do, but who really are just great people that you want to be around, that babysit your children or whatever, those things can sort of put holes in a system of belief that we have that has given us a sense of coherence in our lives, a sense of familiarity, and a sense of like, okay, I know what's up with my life, I know what's up with God, and I and this is where I am, and this is where I stand. But when you start taking shots there, it can become very difficult, and our tendency is, well, the, the, the analogy that's often used is the wall is crumbling. Mm. And our tendency, and I speak from experience too, and I, I know of course, I know many people like this, the tendency is to say, my job, number one, is to put that wall back up again the way it was, if anything, with stronger mortar and better bricks and maybe thicker so it won't come flying down again, or a fortress analogy. My, my job is to repair the gate or repair the wall so the enemy can't get back in again and affect how I think that That's a lot of pressure on somebody <laughs> to keep having to do that. And after a while, you start thinking, well, maybe maybe the wall needed to come down. Maybe the wall was great for a while. Maybe it was a part of my life that I needed. But now it's time to trust God, to step outside and to take that journey of faith that people have been taking for a very, very long time. You know, you wrote something that really resonated with me uh, with me in your book on this. And you said,
1: when we reach that point where things simply make no sense, when we're thinking about God and life no longer line up, when any sense of certainty is gone and when we can find no reason to trust God but still do, well that is what trust looks like at its brightest when all else is dark. Boy, that really
0: hit. You like that, huh? I like that. Dude, I like that too because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that's something that is paradoxical, I think for many Christians that trusting God when you're absolutely not sure when you're just looking into darkness and you don't know what's there, but trusting anyway, you know, you can't kill a guy like that. That's, that's, that is like the ultimate expression of trust. Mm. And I think occasionally, and, and for some Christians more than others, that's, that's part of our calling is to sort of live in that space and not to fool ourselves into thinking that you have faith because everything makes sense and everything, or at least 95% of the stuff falls into place. Sometimes when things don't fall into place at all, that's, that's when you trust like a child. Yeah. You, uh, you made a distinction in your book that I thought was very helpful. I'd like you to
1: elaborate on it. And you just, you distinguish between believing in the who, not in the what. Talk more about that.
0: You know, as I see it, the a common way of of for Christians expressing their faith is to say of what they believe in, like what do you believe in? And it may be you know I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that the Bible is whatever authoritative, you know whatever word we want to use. And that's believing for us is sort of an intellectual category. it's 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 a content word of what you believe in. I think trust is different than belief. It's personal. It's we trust in a who, Mm -hmm. not in a what, and that's a little scary. And I I liken that to a trust fall. You know, when you fall backwards and you better hope somebody catches you. And you know, I've done that once or twice, and I'm I'm I'm, I was convinced. I know they're going to catch me. They're not gonna let me drop. They're not horrible people. They don't want a lawsuit on their hands. You know, no no one's gonna like not catch me. But when you fold your arms in front of you and just fall backwards where you can't see the people behind you, you have that moment of terror. Yeah. <laughs> you just I might go splat. And that's see, that's what the reason why they don't call it a belief fall, they call it a trust fall, because trust has to be there when sense doesn't always come into play and reason doesn't always come into play. And I think that's an important place to get to. Again, no one wants to live their lives where nothing ever makes sense but believe something anyway. Mm. But there are times in, in all of our lives when you just have this sense that this faith is right and it's good, but other times when it's like, it doesn't make any sense at all. And we're just following a biblical pattern in that sense, too. We're not the first people to talk like that. And 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 trying to sanitize the faith where these sorts of things don't happen to really faithful people, I, I think is actually sub-biblical. It's not, it's not something that the Bible recognizes as part of the journey of faith. Well, it seems like David cried out a lot of questions in the Psalms himself
1: um, in, in dealing with many of the things that uh, were troubling for him.
0: Yes, and other psalmists too, the, the so-called lament psalms or psalms of lament are oftentimes questioning God in, in a very basic way. And we won't get into details, but my two favorite, if, if people want to read them, are 88 and 89, because in, in Psalm 88, uh, darkness is your only friend. Everything, everyone, including God and friends, have abandoned you, and God's to blame for it. And the psalm just ends like that, like it's not trying to sanitize it. And, and Psalm 89 is calling God to account for promising one thing and not delivering it, namely promising that there would always be a son of David sitting on the throne. But then the exile happened, which means a son of David would not, was not sitting on the throne. And biblical writers struggle with those things. And, and, and almost, he almost goes so far as to call God a liar. In Psalm 89. Mm -hmm. Now, we wouldn't say that in church, would we? Of course not. (laughs) That would be bad. And we wouldn't be able to teach Sunday school anymore. The offering would probably go down. these sorts of things are in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think to me, that's refreshing. And I think about, you know, from a more academic point of view, when I think of how the Old Testament was compiled over time, but probably the final stamp of approval wasn't put on books until centuries after the people of Judah returned from Babylonian exile, which was in 539 BCE. So it was it was a long time after the story more or less came to a conclusion, and they deemed it wise and good to retain these voices. What what Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament theologian, calls these this counter testimony of the Old Testament or a counter witness that says, you know, things don't always work out, you know, and and we're gonna tell you about it. We're not gonna keep silent about it. So you have within the Bible, this beautiful intentionally structured dialogue between different voices in the Bible who who have experienced different things and they let loose. And if anything, just the freedom to, to be honest and not to equate the struggles with faith with having no faith. Actually, sometimes the people who struggle with faith have, in a sense, tremendous faith because they keep going. And that's something people need to hear because the the pressure of having to be perfect in the life of faith, especially if you're raised that way as a child, when you become a teenager and things get complicated in college and then life happens and then all of a sudden you're 40 and you're always expected to have your act together. Uh, come on, that's, that's really unrealistic. And the Bible doesn't support it, in my opinion. Yeah, well,
1: so we have a messy Bible, as you describe, things that are hard to deal with and understand at times seemingly contradictory. And... You also point out in your book that our lives are internally messy as well, by which we try to interpret what we believe and think about God. Where does that leave us in terms of what we we can hold on to that has any kind of certainty? Or is that uh, a futile exercise?
0: Well, certainty, if we mean by certainty, let's say an intellectual, uh, logical, analytical grasp of something like the fact that I'm sitting in a chair right now, I'm certain of that. And now some might say, well, this could be a dream. You could have been created five minutes ago with a (laughs) memory on the matrix. (laughs) But apart from that stuff, you know, I know that I'm sitting in a chair in a room with seven windows and it's very cloudy out and I'm looking out the the window and I'm seeing a tree that I planted yesterday. These are facts and I'm certain of them, but the life of faith is not built on that kind of certainty. It's built more on a full life, full bodied sense of, a communion in God's presence, which can't be proved. It's not not something that is accessible by our left brains, which is how Western people like to think. Even if they don't think they think that way, they probably do. And I think the life of faith is requiring much more of us than just that. You know, I use my mind all the time. I teach, I write, I speak. That's what I do, but it's not enough and it doesn't get you to that deeper place, and if you rely on that, you're going to be disappointed sooner or later. At the end of the day, your experience of God and your experience of God in communion with other people, and these God moments that some may have a lot, some may have a few of them, but these these times when you just feel this, this deep sense of conviction, which is not the same thing as intellectual certainty. It's something that is just so visceral and so intuitive you know that those are the moments that I think are very important. And to rely on the the same kind of mental process that lets us invent transistors and rocket ships, we're looking for the wrong place, and we're we're looking for the wrong answer. We're looking for that certainty answer. And again, the biblical writers themselves aren't certain all the time, and they struggle with God,
1: yeah. now, are there certain signs of certainty, anxiety if we could? put a label on it, you know, we're where maybe we're trusting too much in our intellectual reasoning as opposed to really getting to that deeper expression
0: of conviction that you're talking about. Well I think so and I don't mean to sound too labely when I right. <laughs> when I when I put it this way, because like I said, I've experienced these things too, as have many other people. But I think being argumentative is a very clear sign. And that is oftentimes an indication that beneath that is a fear of losing control of the system that we have. You know, all of us have a system. Mm-hmm. All of us have a way of putting the pieces of the world together. It's just, you get to a point, at least I've gotten to a point as many other people have, where part of that system is also ambiguity and uncertainty. That's We've incorporated that into our way of thinking about the life of faith. But if you're not used to doing that and things seem to threaten it and you're sort of confronted with the extreme, really remote possibility of being uncertain about something, we tend to go in defensive mode because remaining certain is the same thing as having faith. God wants you to be certain. God never wants you to doubt anything. Mm-hmm. So we are afraid of that and we can become sometimes a little bit belligerent about that. and. You know, seeking out arguments and trolling on the internet to find people and to try to shore up what we already believe that it's and its this impenetrable force, fortress, nothing's going to happen to us. And you know, also, I think just to maybe push that a little bit farther, I think one of the things that people are afraid of is their life having no meaning. Because God gives meaning, the spiritual life gives meaning to us, or so it's often put. And now you're taking that away. And and even more importantly, and again, I've heard this many times, what people are really deeply afraid of is if my belief is wrong about anything, then it could be wrong about everything. And then I no longer know what's going to happen to me when I die. It's fear of death. I think at the end of the day, that plays a role and how people respond to things like uncertainty or ambiguity in the life of faith, which is exactly the point where you have to just sit back and say, I don't understand, I have to trust God anyway, and I choose to trust God. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm going to do it anyway.
1: This is the
2: Bold Idea Podcast.
1: Or well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due.
2: Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist. Thank you, because it would not exist without you.
1: Oh, that is so true, because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we, we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative if you're joining with us through your tax-deductible contribution to make this show possible.
2: And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate.
1: And I wonder if these areas of thinking that you call the system of thinking that we have, and we certainly have them about certain areas in our lives. Uh, and I wonder if if that's you know why... The cultural wisdom is, you know, the most heated topics are politics and religion. And, and perhaps that's where people put their their most treasured systems of how the world ought to work in
0: place. I think that's a great point. And I've noticed that, too, when I blog, the things where I get the most criticism are, from the theological side, things that might upset the system, like, you know, what is the Bible when you really look at it from at least from a different angle or is evolution true? And all these things are like dominoes that fall. Like once these things, these are crucial points of contention. These are culture war areas and they tend to get a lot of attention. And then when you talk about them, people come back usually, well, I mean, I shouldn't say usually, but that's when I tend to see more of the heated kinds of comments, whether they're passive aggressive or just plain aggressive, but there they are. But also definitely politics, because this is what structures our lives. And there are people in power and out of power and people in power like to keep it and people out of power want it, or they just at least want to be treated like human beings. And so much of our daily lives, the structure of our lives, is affected by political systems and we I think we don't always appreciate that in the west even though we fight about it all the time there are a lot of people in the world who are far worse off than, <laughs> than most people living in the United States not all but most but certainly it it affects something about our just our humanity and affects how our lives move day to day and those are the things that are going to generate, I think, a lot of potential heat. And then I always come back to things like, you know, Jesus, if you want to follow me, you have to die, you know, to yourself. You have to pick up your cross and follow me, which doesn't mean converting to Christianity. It means, you know, carrying a burden sometimes and 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 a burden that is a cross, which is about dying. And so basically daily. Dying or being in an attitude of my own way of looking at things and my own perceptions may not be the center of the universe and I need to hold these things lightly.
1: That's interesting. I, I see the argumentative symptom that you describe leading to polarization, right? It seems like people try to polarize. Yes. And, uh, and what you're describing in, in terms of what Jesus called us to is really the antithesis of that. I mean, dying to self is not polarizing.
0: Right. <laughs> it's not a polarizing Because it's not idea. based <laughs> in fear. I think polarization is is really a fear move, yeah. a fear of not having the control that you want to have. It's. I mean, it's about power, but it's not just about power. The need for power, I think there is a fear element in there someplace. We're really frightened little people. And if there's any place where we can rise above that, it's in the life of faith, which is exactly like the last place people want to find that. But that's exactly where it can and should happen. Once once you conquer it there, so to speak, that bully of certainty, once you conquer that in the life of faith, it's like everything else becomes okay. You're not as consumed with you know whether your sports team wins or whether your candidate wins or you know, how you can predict the market and things like that. It's, I mean, the, the life of faith is actually a great place to practice the fact that we're human and we're limited and we simply don't have a grasp on things from the top down just because we believe in God and trust in God and follow the gospel. That doesn't magically mean we stop being human and we see things from the top down. We don't.
1: You know, in our politically charged climate, um- There's been a lot of talk. I haven't noticed what's going on. (laughs) You know, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the Kavanaugh appointment. And coincidentally, you write about a different Kavanaugh in your book, John Kavanaugh. Um,
0: Yes, that's right. (laughs)
1: Yeah. uh, Tell that story because I think that's really pertinent here.
0: Yeah, to me, this is this is a very moving story that I I stumbled upon at a time in my life where I just needed to hear it. This was years ago. And John Kavanaugh was a moral philosopher at, a, at St. Louis University, which is a Jesuit school. And he was having his own crisis of meaning and crisis of faith. And this is like 1975, roughly. And so he figured, listen, I'll go visit Mother Teresa. She'll know what to do. So he goes to visit her and he meets her and... Hi, how are you? And she says, what can I do for you? He says, you can pray for me. And she said, well, what can I pray for? And he said, pray that I have clarity. And she said, no, I will not do that. And he's like, well, why not? That's why I came. And she said something that has stuck with me for for years uh, that she said, because clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. And that really struck me because that's exactly what I was doing. And so he said to her, he says, Well, that's sort of well, I'm paraphrasing, that's sort of a bummer, lady, because I came this whole way and you're really short, and plus you're not telling me the answer I want to have. And you know, he said, You that's not fair. You seem to have a lot of certainty. And she laughed and she said, I've never had certainty a day in my life, but what I've had is trust. So I will pray instead that you trust God. And when I saw that, I it was almost like the pattern of my life and the pattern of my faith was just right there in front of me and I remember thinking to myself i've been thinking about this all wrong i've i've been going at it as the quest for grabbing onto things that's why i went to seminary that's why i went to do doctoral work not not to be omniscient but just i just wanted to know more and more because it would give more clarity and more clarity and what happens is that, yeah, it gives clarity about some things, it raises a whole lot of questions about other things, but what really affects you is just your life and your relationships and all sorts of things like that, things that come into your life that you're not even expecting. Those are the things that can derail this if If you allow me to say this rather simplistic view that faith means being certain of everything, it doesn't. What if it means not being certain? what what if what if faith is not about being certain, but maybe faith is what you do when you're not certain? Maybe that's what it is. because most of us during our lives are sort of winging it. We don't really we are not really truly certain about things. Does that mean we just stop? I don't I don't think so. Again, I think there's a history of, of both the biblical tradition and the history of Christianity with a lot of wise saints who have gone before us who who understand not only the inevitability, but maybe even the power of being in the that dark night of the soul, as Saint John of the Cross called it. Sounds like this Kavanaugh story when you read it
1: hit you perhaps in part because of some things that were going on in your own life at the time. Could you talk more about that?
0: Sure, yeah. I had actually, to, to make a four-hour story into about two minutes here, I there was a, a several-year period where I was teaching at a seminary, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, where I had gone to school and had been a professor at that point for about 14 years. And things were moving in a direction that was very uncomfortable for me personally and without getting into any details because that's not important here. I just felt always under the gun and under the microscope and very pressured and even overt pressure to try to have me fired. So I have that and on top of that, my daughter, who uh, is now 28 and has a child and She's doing great, but she was going through a very difficult period when she was 16 and 17 of, of depression and anxiety. And I know a lot of parents can connect with that. This just It's almost an epidemic nowadays with young, young people really dealing with depression and anxiety. So at, long story short, it, it was very difficult for her for several years at home while all this was going on at work too. And it was as if I just could never come up for air. And I felt for years, not that these things happen for my benefit, you know, but I learned from them. And I think God used them to to drive home to me, you know, Pete, guess what? You can't control the universe with your head. You can't do it at work. You may read things and know things and write things, but you can't, your life will fall apart. You cannot control work. You cannot control your family. You have to let go. And not feel as if it's your responsibility to make the world move smoothly. And one of the biggest insights I got during this time was we tried uh, to help my daughter with anxiety, especially with school. We, we kept switching schools. And the last school that we switched her to, she lasted two days. It just was not good for her. And she came home and she said, you know, Dad, you've got to stop doing things to help me just because you want to help yourself. Meaning to ease my own anxieties. Wow. And like, well, that's exactly wow. what I was doing. I was I was trying to control the environment to ease my sense of control uh, or lack of control.
1: That was incredibly insightful for Wasn't
0: her it though? I mean, she's full of insights so oh like gosh. that. Well, you know what? I she suffered a lot, and I think through that suffering she gained wisdom. So oh, yeah. But that was an insight for me that, you know, all these things are sort of happening. And I had to learn. Well, I, I, I don't want to say it was like predetermined that this would happen, but I That was something that was instrumental for me in my learning that something had to give. And I'm thankful that it did. I mean, I was in my mid-40s at the time. I wish it had been my mid-30s or mid-20s, but that's okay. It was in my mid-40s. And I learned lessons then about, I cannot go on like this. I'm curious, could anybody else
1: have delivered that message to you more effectively than your daughter?
0: No, one else. She was the focal point of, she was the one I had to fix for my benefit. Right. So, yeah, that was, that was, no, no one could have, no one, no one could have said that like she could have said that. That's,
1: that's one of those things that just takes your breath away for a bit, you know, and you just, um, you have to sit back and recalibrate right. because all of a sudden your world order just. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got all sorts of take
0: your breath away moments from all that back then that just were <laughs> these unscripted moments and insights that made me just, it, it sort of gently nudged me and nurtured me away from, it was sort of a weaning away from the, th- it's, it's, it was deeper than the, than the need to be certain. It was just the unquestioned assumption that I know a lot of things and therefore it's okay. That wasn't even examined. I wasn't even aware that that was happening, which is why it's so difficult for people because you, know, you point out, you know, sin of certainty, blah, blah, blah. And it's like questioning air. Or yeah. blood, you know. It just it it's 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 so fundamental to how we think about ourselves in our lives that to question it overtly causes fear and a lot of belligerence and anxiety and then fighting. People have to come to that point on their own. This would not have worked ten years earlier for me. I wouldn't even have had a category to think about it. Things had to happen to me. Life had to happen, and it did. Boy, did it. Well, what have you heard from your audience
1: having read your book and listened to your podcast and your teaching on this? uh, What what kind
0: of response have you? Well, generally very positive. You know, I mean, if if everybody... My doctoral advisor, James Kugel, told me when I was uh, finishing my dissertation, he says, if everybody loves your book, it probably didn't need to be written. If everybody (laughs) hates it, you're probably wrong. You want half the people to love it and (laughs) half the people to hate it. Well, I I don't hear from everybody, but the responses have been just overwhelmingly positive, although there have been, of course, negative comments. And I would say by, by those for whom certainty remains an important commodity. And I've had people review the book on the basis only of the title, which is not a good idea, <laughs> literally kind of judging light. a book by its cover. By well, its covering, what you mean? Yep. It's sinful to be certain. And I said, well, if you get to page like four, you'll realize that I'm not saying that. I'm not saying to be certain is sinful. It's what do you do with it when you're not certain anymore, which will happen. If you keep your eyes and ears open. So I'd say it was, you know, it's it's been positive because there's there are people out there who are experiencing exactly the same thing, in some cases, much more deeply and threateningly than I did. Just just lives are just in complete trauma. And they're experiencing this too. And they have a lot to say. And I think for those people, it was helpful for yet another person to sort of give them permission to say, You're fine. Well, actually, you're having a hard time, but you know this is this is something that is a normal part of the life of faith. Yeah, you're not a, you're not alone in your thinking, and not alone in your right. doubts. And that's it. I mean, people need to. I need to know that I'm not yeah. the I'm the only one. Are you kidding me? That I just right. let's talk about church history. You know, it's just it's just these things have yeah. been going on. It's 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 older than Christianity. It goes back three thousand years at least in the Christian in the Jewish and Christian faith. It goes back a long, long time. It's just the way it is because we're just human and we're trying to connect with the creator. And it will always be there until until his return. Right.
1: So, Pete, Good stuff. Tell me, what is your next bold idea? You've written this book, and it's been, I think, uh, a tremendous uh, addition, but uh,
0: tell, tell us what's next. My next bold idea is that the Yankees definitely need two quality starters because they are never going to make it into the postseason <laughs> until they get two quality starters, but that's not a bold idea. That's common sense. Anyway, all right, um, I just finished a, a book, which will be coming out in February, called How the Bible Actually Works. And yes, it's a snarky title, but that's just the way I do things. Uh, and the point of the book is basically You have this. to read
1: to page four, right? <laughs> the,
0: the book, the Bible is a, the, the very things that make the Bible, quote, a problem for people are actually what makes the Bible worth reading. Because the Bible is a book of wisdom. And the Bible is is very ancient, which means it's weird. The Bible is actually ambiguous, if you think about it. It doesn't actually tell you what to do, at least not very often. And the Bible is very diverse. You have different, like we said with the Lament Psalms, the Bible has legitimately different conflicting voices within it. And But those are not problems. Those are what make the Bible worth reading, because they connect with us, with our lives. And it's pointing us towards a quest for wisdom rather than an index where we find answers. Yeah. So how the Bible actually works
1: coming in February 19th. How can our listeners get more,
0: uh, get a hold of you or learn more? Pete uh, PeteNs.com, Also the Bible for normal That'll get you to the same place. And I have a blog and you can access our podcast from there and, you know, books and stuff like that. The usual, the usual stuff happens on that, on that the website. Huge. All right, great. Well, we'll have links to all those in our show notes.
1: And Pete, I just want to thank you again for being a part of the podcast.
0: Oh, thanks so much. We had a great time.
1: Well, it may seem like I just hung up with Pete, uh, but it's been a little bit of time since I had that recording. And now I have Armin back in the studio with me. Yay.
2: And, Armeen, Yay. Welcome
1: back, Armin. And Armin's had an opportunity to listen to the recording. And we want to uh, debrief on what we heard with uh, Pete's story and a little bit about uh, the sin of uncertainty, or the sin of certainty, I should say.
2: Yeah.
1: I should be certain to say the sin of certainty.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I. I- First of all, I just love the fact that as soon as I read his title of his book, I thought, oh, you're going to get a good old Christian spanking yeah. from yeah. know, all sorts of people. That Anybody that doesn't want to read to page four. Will- yeah. And then I, yeah, That's why I started laughing because as soon as I said, I, that's what I thought immediately when I heard the title. And then he said, you know, <laughs> you yeah. just have to get to page four and I was dying. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yes, I really enjoyed this book uh, from, from a lot of reasons, and I wanted to f- feature him on our podcast today in many ways because he will stretch your thinking about your thinking. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you may not agree with his theology, and he's written you know quite a few books, a lot of books and a lot of papers, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and there are people who, uh, you know, take him to task on some of his thinking. <laughs> But one thing you cannot uh, accuse him of is that he doesn't you know, cause you not to think.
2: Oh yeah, are you kidding?
1: And that's what I really appreciated about it. And, and there are so many different aspects of this book that I thought was just very refreshing. And, and, uh, and it's one of those things where you know, we create a system of how we think about the world. And by um, just, if we think about it for a minute, there's no way we could contain God into that system of thinking. I mean, God transcends. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts Mm. and your ways are not my ways. He writes that in Isaiah or says that in Isaiah. And so, you know, for us to presume that the way we think about God is going to be certain and fixed and is the way is not only presumptive, but perhaps a bit arrogant.
2: Right. And I I think (laughs) the thing that he said that, I couldn't stop thinking about and I had to rewind the podcast and listen to it. Cause I, you know, checked out for 10 minutes and thought shocking, right? Uh, was when he started talking about clarity, um, and certainty versus trust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I, my mind just started reeling. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, if I think back to almost every spiritual existence, existential crisis I had, that was that 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 sums it up pretty well (laughs) you know like yeah this is what i expected this is the certainty i had but it's going this way existential crisis
1: yeah and and then everything falls apart everything yeah and that's his point you know it's like you 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 have a you have a certain area and and when something challenges that Mm -hmm. then if the all the walls he calls it the fortress. Yeah. The walls start crumbling down. Yeah. You know, we scurry to try to build the wall back up. And I love what he said is that maybe we'll see a bigger God mm. when we don't try to put that wall back up. You know, when mm-hmm. we trust in the who rather than try to believe in the what. Oh, yeah, you that's know, that- the
2: other part. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So anyway, I thought that that was really, really good.
2: I mean, if you... So when I, when I went to the National Prayer Breakfast, I got the privilege of meeting this guy named Doug Coe who kind of started the whole thing. And I, I remember he was the first guy who sat there and he, he had this very direct but soft spoken approach where he said, you know, uh, what is God or, what, or, or who is God, right? And people started a- a- giving their answers. And he said, here's the thing that we always miss. And he does it in the most loving old man way that you could possibly imagine. He said, lo- lo- love is not a thing grace is not a thing. Hope is not a thing. Redemption, And he just had a whole list. He said, until we realize every single one of those things is actually a person, we will never truly be able mm. to grasp the depth, the profundity of what and who Jesus is. And I remember he was the first person to do that. So when he, when, uh, Pete started going into it, I was just unraveled once again, going back to Doug Cole before he passed away. That's
1: really good. And it, and it reminds me, I mean, that we can't possibly constrain what we think about God, even in the language and the words that we use. I mean, if you think about all mm-hmm. the different languages and you know, how many languages do you know? English was my fifth. The fifth language. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but there are things that you can think about in other languages that you can't think about in English, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so if you just think about how many languages are there, and even that can't contain enough thought about who, God is for yeah. us to even frame that up, why would we presume that we have a system of thought that could contain <laughs> who he is? Right, right. And okay. it really got me uh, into this whole thinking when I, when I was listening to it about the expectations. Now, let's take this down to bold ideas, because that's really <laughs> what this is about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, as believers, we, we, we want to believe that uh, you know, God's given us some gifting that, uh, that we want to deploy and we wanted to deploy it in a way that's honoring to him. And I can tell you that every disappointment that I've had in all of my vocational c- pursuits in that way has been because God hasn't come through on the expectations yeah. that I've had of him.
2: Yeah, your timing, my the time, your outcome, the, your I, I started my business in <laughs>
1: 1995. And I can remember sitting down with Pastor Roger Thompson, our yeah. friend, and, and I had a lunch with him. And I, I mapped out for him all the ways God was gonna use <laughs> all of my available time <laughs> To do ministry and all this stuff that i was going to be able to do unleashing myself in business realizing that that wasn't it at all (laughs) and i had to have a crisis of my own faith where i can remember where i was i was driving in a car and i and and it was god was telling me you know am i seeking more importantly to change my circumstances or to trust him in it yeah and this back to this whole trust because my circumstances didn't align with my thinking about how God should be blessing a Christian leader. That, you know, that, this yeah. is not, this does not fit. I, this is not how it's supposed to work. I'm <laughs> supposed to do things and you're supposed to do things and reciprocate. And it wasn't working that way.
2: I made a deal with you. I made a deal with you. I, I assumed your agreement on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the Bible loves me, so, right? You know? I love it. Yep. So in any
1: case, I, uh, I had that crisis and, and God had to say, you know, what's more important is a it, it change in circumstance or, or my presence. Yeah. And when we can say, you know what, even if I don't understand all the why, and I don't understand what is, is going, I can still have peace. That's that peace that is transcends understanding. Yeah. You know, when I can have that, then I have the presence of a person, you know, not the, the presence of, of, uh, circumstances that I want to work out my way and my yeah. expectations, and he really dives into that. I think in this whole this whole book is I think just one of those books that's just a nice reset reminder. Just like your story about uh, the guy at the National Prayer oh, Breakfast, yeah. that's just a reset story, yeah. right? It's like this is one of those reminders that we got to get back to to the to to what this is all about. Right. This is all about a trusted relationship, even when all of our frameworks or conceptions fall apart and if you're trusting god with a bold idea they will yeah right at some point in time you're going to get exposed to your faulty thinking about the frameworks that aren't right yeah and uh, what do you do when that happens and that's what this is all about and i just really enjoyed having him on the program absolutely
2: this will be my final note I was actually more impressed by his daughter <laughs> than I was by Pete. Yeah. <laughs> when he said what his daughter said to him. I know. <laughs> I had to pause and I know. think about that for a second. Not only to have the insight,
1: but to have the moxie to say, dad, you know, kind of get your act together.
2: <laughs> At the age of 16. 16. Are, if yeah. I my, Well, if I'm sure I'll have that exact same conversation with my daughter because I'll do the exact same thing, but. You
1: know, <laughs> <laughs> a remarkable young lady, and, yeah. uh, and and you know what, and he's a remarkable guy for yeah, yeah. hearing that and uh, and and acting on it and right. having that be as transformational as it was for him. Well, we hope you enjoyed this show and uh, we'd love for you to leave us your comments and let us know what you think. If you've read the book, I'd love to hear your comments on it as well. Go to boldideapodcast.com slash eight zero. There you'll find the links to Pete's uh, uh, works and also the links to his new book that's going to be coming out as well. We'd love for you to leave us a comment there or on our show line at six one two five six eight idea six one two five six eight idea And this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we are saying so long, be blessed. Go put your faith to work and be bold. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit
2: boldideapodcast.com.